0: Psalm 90 would say that, you know, we have—the only way to gain wisdom is to practice the ability to number your days, to know that they are numbered, they're not, you know, limitless. But I think the other thing that Psalm 90, for example, is setting up for us is, it's our limitedness against the backdrop of God's everlastingness. And so, if we really are people of the Kingdom, I can believe that God's going to get His work done, and he's whatever he wills, he has the power and the time to do. And so, insofar as I'm a part of that, hooray, I'm thankful for that because I think that is the dignity for which human beings were created. Um, but I don't have to like stress about the fact that like the kingdom of God rests on my efforts.
1: Welcome to the Habit Podcast conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. I'm always glad when there's a new Jen Pollock-Michelle book in the world. Her latest is In Good Time, Eight Habits for Reimagining Productivity, Resisting Hurry, and Practicing Peace. As we look ahead to a new year with all its goals and resolutions, Jen's thoughts on productivity, fruitfulness, and time are especially helpful. Jim Pollock, Michelle, I'm so glad to have you on the Habit Podcast today for our first episode of season five, the the uh, for 2023, the first uh, episode of 2023. So welcome to the Habit Podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to talk to you again. I'm uh, excited about your new book, In Good Time. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I felt it was very appropriate for a New Year's uh, episode. Now you're going to have to help me with the subtitle. It's kind of a long subtitle. In Good Time is yeah. the title, and the subtitle is
0: eight habits for reimagining productivity resisting hurry and practicing peace
1: okay reimagining productivity um mm-hmm. i i love that idea i think it's super important um as we as people think about the new year i think it's really important to reimagine productivity and and what it's for and and um well what do you mean when you say reimagine productivity in what ways would yeah. you reimagine it
0: Well, in some ways, I feel like we do have to recover a better category than productivity. I think a more biblical category would be fruitfulness. Um, Mm. So I want to make that argument for sure in the book, um, because productivity is asking really one question and one question alone. Mm, It's like, how can I get more done in less time, you know, more and more done in less and less time. And it's interesting to look at the history of productivity, really see that it is a, it's a measure that emerges out of the factory. Mm -hmm. um, As people look at how they can just produce more widgets in less and less time. Um, And of course it was applied to machines. It was also applied to men, you know, the Bethlehem steel factory, they were kind of looking at like, how could we get more men to, you know, carry more weight in a day. Um, And some of that was eliminating waste, like of motion, figuring out, you know, like the bricklayer. this is, this is not, um, this is not um, Bethlehem Steel Company, but this is Lillian um, and Frank Gilbreth did a lot of like time motion analyses. So it was like the bricklayer, how can we get him to actually like lay more bricks in a day? Well, you know, we can create scaffolding so he doesn't have to, you know, reach so far to actually get his bricks. And so there's a lot of like work on eliminating motion. Um, And those aren't, You know, I mean, I don't think that it's a bad thing to figure out how we can work better and work more strategically. But when you think about productivity, and as it has emerged out of the factory, and then you apply it to human bodies that don't work like machines, then you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I think fruitfulness is a better category because it actually allows for seasonality. It allows you to think about winters, you know, think about seasons of dormancy um because you know you don't produce fruit all year round, um mm-hmm. generally. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's that's a, a category that applies better to bodies,
1: yeah yeah, you 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 draw a distinction between um, help me if I'm getting this right. Mecha- mechanistic time and body time or machine time and body time what what's the language? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, mechanical time, and body time. Um, you know, and we before we jumped on, you said that you wanted to talk about crypt time. And I think this is a great place to introduce this idea of crip time, which is a category of time, or I guess a measure of time that disability scholars talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this idea that, you know, you can't really measure the time a task any particular task takes, because different bodies Will perform that task in different um, periods of time. So that if I'm a child, um, you know, I will, my body is going to, I'll take longer to tie my shoes. And if I'm an elderly person, the same is true. You know, if my body has certain, you know, differing abilities, um, I might move more slowly through the world. I might more, move more quickly too. You know, it just depends on our bodies. And I think the thing with productivity is that we standardize time and mm-hmm. we don't allow for the differences of our bodies. And I think this is particularly difficult for people who struggle with illness, you know, who have a chronic illness. Um, I think it's diff- difficult for people who have differing abilities. You know, um, they are measured against a standard that feels very objective. And so there yeah. must be doing it wrong if they move more slowly or take more time to do something. And we don't value people who take time in the world, who move through the world more slowly. And I think particularly as Christians, believing that bodies are good and that God made each of us and each of us very different. um, I think that's why it's particularly important for us as Christians to think about different ways of keeping time, measuring time, valuing time beyond just productivity and moving through the world quickly with as much efficiency as possible
1: yeah yeah I, I love that uh, that reframing to say you know, not how long a task takes, but how long a body takes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: instead of, you know the idea that that we conform the whole idea of conforming to, as you said, that some um, uh, objective and I might I might say arbitrary notion yeah. of, of of what, yes. how long something is supposed to take. And especially for, for people who do creative work, you, we have these, we get these ideas, that, yes. you know, we should be able to accomplish a certain amount of, you know, well, for crying out loud, you know, there's, there's, you know, NaNoWriMo, you know, National no- Novel Writing Month, or here's the month <laughs> where we're so where we're all going to write, uh, you know, 50,000 words. And I, I said, I was going to do, you know, NaNoWriMo last month or last, well, I guess this is December. So it was last month. Uh, and I think I wrote, I don't know, 750 words instead of 50,000. <laughs> <That's> like... <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't my finest hour in terms of productivity. <laughs> uh, but, um, but the um, productivity, as you said, uh, that's, that's interesting. That it comes out of the, the industrial mm-hmm. age. And efficiency, that word efficiency is a word for physics, right? It's for machines. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And, and mm-hmm. we
1: uh it's it's really interesting. This this is such an important part of, of your argument, um, that that we willingly dehumanize ourselves when we say yeah. I'm going to conform to you know these uh these expectations, these these mm. um well the language of productivity and efficiency. Um which is which is not entirely unuseful language, of course, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I yeah. love the way you talk about um, being called out of Egypt. When the Israelites were called out of Egypt, they were being called out of a situation in which they were treated as machines or as yeah. as tools um, to something else. So I'd love mm-hmm. to hear you say a little more about that, Jen.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting to think, to situate productivity in the story of Egyptian slavery, because when you actually read the narrative in the Bible, it's very much like Pharaoh's like, you're not gonna get straw. We're not you, but you're gonna have to make the same amount of bricks. Mm-hmm. Like your worth, um, your performance is measured on the amount of bricks that you make. Don't care what the conditions are, don't care, you know, what you actually need to get that done. That's just that's the standard. And it is so interesting, isn't it, that for as dehumanizing as slavery was. Um, Israel was constantly pining for Egypt. yeah, you know, when you read the wilderness narratives, it's like, can't we just go back? Yeah. <laughs> so much was of of it was about the food, of course, you know, it was mm-hmm. a very selective memory. Like, I just remember the melons and the leeks. <laughs> um I remember what we ate for dinner. They didn't. The selectively, I guess, they sort of, you know, excised um, slavery from from the right. account, from the memory account. But I do think that productivity is very dehumanizing. I think it it makes us feel um, as if we're not doing it right, life being it, you know, when we have to move more slowly through the world. Um, You know, I think even like here would be an example. Um, I have suffered, I suffered early losses in my life. My brother died when I was just out of college. My dad died when I was in college. And I never had a sense in those seasons of grief, like, of course, it makes sense. You're going to move more slowly through the world. Maybe this mm-hmm. is the time. Maybe this is a fitting time to take a take a little bit off of your course schedule in college when mm-hmm. I was um, grieving my dad's death or when I was a new teacher, and my brother died. And, you know, I remember being asked to take on more responsibilities. Of course, I was like, in my first couple of years of teaching. And it was that idea that if you don't take on these responsibilities, like you don't have tenure, you're not guaranteed a job here. And so you always just fear. I think productivity is a lot built on fear, Mm -hmm. fear that if I slow down, like I'm going to fall behind, I'm going to get left behind. I'm not going to get that next opportunity in my career. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, most of it is, I would have to say pretty career oriented. And I think that's the other thing about productivity is that it tends to be very individualistic. It tends to sort of forget about like our how we're embedded and unfolded in human relationships because really the only way that you can get more productive is if you can eliminate more contingencies in your life. And you think about all the contingencies of your life, they're generally related to either a your own, you know, bodily kind of wellness. Mm -hmm. Be your relationships. Um, I mean, those are the contingencies, right? And so the ways that you can get more productive and get more done is just to isolate yourself more and more. Um, And, you know, I think about even just this little thing that I ordered online because, of course, you know, it's the end of December and, you know, we've been ordering a lot of stuff for (laughs) I hate to say it from Amazon, but yes, I have too. And you know, I remember one thing came with this little note that said, time is scarce, be selfish with yours. Ooh. I thought, no, that is like the absolute wrong attitude. But that's productivity does give you it just it just reinforces every day. Time is scarce, and somehow you've got to master it. You've got to exercise this unique time savvy. Um, I just I just think there's a lot wrong with that, and I think a lot that we wake up every day, kind of moving past life rather than actually living it.
1: Mm. Are you suggesting that time is not scarce?
0: I think it's a paradox. I mean, and mm-hmm. you're probably you know anybody who knows my work like knows that that's an important category for me. So I look at on the one hand, 100% time is scarce. We're mortal beings. Mm-hmm. Psalm 90 would say that, you know, we have the only way to gain wisdom is to practice the ability to number your days, to know that they are numbered. They're not, you know, limitless. But I think the other thing that Psalm 90, for example, is setting up for us is it's our limitedness against the backdrop of God's everlastingness. Mm -hmm. And so if we really are people of the kingdom seeking first the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that will have no end, then like I actually can believe in time plenty, too. I can believe that God's going to get his work done And he's whatever he wills, he has the power and the time to do. And so insofar as I'm a part of that, hooray, I'm thankful for that, because I think that is the dignity for which human beings were created. Um, but I don't have to like stress about the fact that like the kingdom of God rests on my efforts. It doesn't, you know, my name will most likely be forgotten. um, But that's not the name that we honor (laughs) when all of time sort of expands into that everlasting kingdom. Um, So yeah, time is scarce. I'm not going to get as much done. Nothing's not, everything's going to get checked off the proverbial list. But I don't have to feel afraid of that. I think that's Mm -hmm. what is, that's the invitation beyond time
1: scarcity. Um, My friend Pete Peterson uh, talks about the idea that, you know, sometimes he thinks out of these projects I I want to do that I'm not going to get done before I die. And yet, if we are headed for the new heavens and the new earth, we do have time Mm -hmm. to do all those projects. Right. And more. I may
0: learn ancient Greek after all.
1: That's right. <laughs> um, in light of, of of these, you've mentioned Psalm ninety, numbering our days. You know, a, another phrase from Scripture that gets there. Um, I use the word co opted um, is mm. redeeming the time. Yeah. Um, and one of my guests last year, now I can't remember which one it was. You know, sort of. Help me just revisit that language, which to me is is meant you better be efficient, you better be productive, you've only got so much time. Um, Yeah. What do you think redeeming the time means in light of the the thinking you've been doing and the writing you've been doing? Uh, What does it mean beyond productivity?
0: Well, we're getting into the weeds here with language, um which I think in so many ways, you know, we bring our own particular experiences and understanding to language. You know, it's not like language just sort of exists as this objective right. thing. So redeem is just a, it, it i mean it's a biblical word, um but I think we bring a lot of like commodity sort of measures to it, you know, because you think about redeeming a slave, you buy it back. Um and so I think as soon as we start to assign And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what the biblical that I'm sure that's part of what the biblical writers were thinking. But we as industrialized people, you know, think mostly about time as commodity, Mm -hmm. something that you waste, you spend, you save, you invest. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is pretty unhelpful language um, Mm -hmm. because it actually makes it feel like time is at our kind of disposal to do with what we please. Um so I guess the first thing that I would say, and I I guess I'm gonna just like kind of circle around your question in a teeny bit because I don't exactly know what the biblical writer means by redeem. But here are some as I put together kind of like an imaginative landscape from the Bible, I think one of the things that could be helpful, like verbs we assign to like, what do we do with our time? Well, first of all, we receive it. Um, and that mm-hmm. was the second um, habit in the book. It's just this idea that you're not meant to control time or manage time. See, if they the, again, to go to productivity, you always think, I have to manage my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can, is that really, is time at your disposal at that in that way? What about thinking about receiving time? Mm-hmm. I think that's far more helpful. Um, and then I think observing time is another important category, like monks and nuns, you know, the way that they move through the world. And not that we all have to sort of imitate, you know, a cloistered contemplative life, but I think it's helpful to think about, you know, there are certain times, and Christians do this in the category calendar. We observe certain time in certain seasons of the year. Um, And we don't come to those times just because we feel like it, right? We don't come to Advent um, because we feel like waiting, you know, (laughs) but we observe waiting time because that is sort of, we find that fitting. And that to me, so receiving time, observing time, inhabiting time, um, where we think about time acting like space, um, you know, physical space. And Paul says that in Acts 17, you know, he says God's appointed the boundaries of your your life, but also the seasons of your life. So, Mm -hmm. you're almost inhabiting time as God has given it to you and assigned it to you as seasons of time. So, If I were to, if someone were to say, you know, say you have to define redeeming the time, I would say, I think that means receiving time as a gift from God and living in faithful response to his voice in time. And sometimes that most importantly, I think that means you have to discern vocational questions and you have to identify kind of the fitting opportunities of your particular season.
1: Great, thank you. That was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Um. Okay. Can you, by way of, I guess maybe summation is the word I'm looking for. Um. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what are some ways we move from productivity to fruitfulness? That's kind of what mm-hmm. I guess that's what the whole book is. But talk to me about about that. Just just to sort of congeal some of the big ideas that you've been uh talking about.
0: Okay. So productivity, again, we think about it as related to efficiency a lot. Mm-hmm. You want to eliminate waste in your life. And one of the habits is actually waiting. And we think of when you're in a productivity mindset, waiting is always waste. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much either wasted or it's definitely inopportune. It's something to be avoided. And so moving to a fruitful mentality means you embrace seasons of waiting. Okay. You believe that God is doing something good in your seasons of waiting. You think about what happens to the vine in the winter. you know, it it's not bearing fruit, but it's strengthening its roots system. Mm-hmm. So that's an important thing when you're waiting is to actually believe that something is happening. and I want to say believe something productive is happening, but I only mean yeah. that in the sense of like pr- the plant producing fruit, God's going to produce fruit in your life. That's something that he's already promised. It brings him glory, John 15. Um, So you don't have to be worried if you're in a season of waiting. Waiting could look like you're in a, you're in a degree program, you know, you're ready to get out in the world and like produce something, publish something, you know, do something measurable or visible, but you're actually just in a period of preparation. Mm -hmm. And so I think you got to embrace that period of preparation for, and don't hurry it along. Um, I think um, fruitfulness is also about reckoning with tasks that take time. Um, You know, productivity is always about like how fast can I do something and how fast can I do it to get more done? Mm -hmm. Well, what kind of tasks do you take up? A fruitful life would ask you to take up tasks of love that take time. Mm -hmm. And so one of the stories that, you know, this whole book is in the backdrop of moving from Toronto back to the States in order to care for my mother who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's actually after the book was published, or I should say written, I knew that she was not well but we didn't have the official diagnosis until August. So a fruitful, a person who's dedicated to fruitfulness will commit themselves to tasks that take time that Mm -hmm. actually don't produce anything like really measurable. I mean, when I go and help my mom, you know, yesterday I took her to get her haircut Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I thought, you know, I mean, there's nothing like impressive about that. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a a, a caretaking activity that I'm taking up because I believe that God calls me to the work of love. Um, love takes time. I think that, you know, people th- think sometimes it can be hurried. And I just don't know anything in a life of love that can be hurried. You know, a good friendship is not something to hurry. A good marriage, the work of parenting, the work of loving your neighbor well, of caring for your places and your cities, like these things take time. So recognizing, I guess, a productivity mindset is resistant to tasks that demand time, effort, exertion, and kind of confront productivity always wants your ease and your convenience and effortlessness, you know, because mm-hmm. as long as you have those things, you're moving through the world quickly.
1: Yeah.
0: So, how do you take up things that take time? Um, I think a lot of spiritual habits move us out of productivity if we embrace them um, with it beyond like just I'm getting something done, I'm checking this off my list. I talk in the book about Just a new prayer practice for me, returning to a very ancient practice of the church, which is to pray at certain hours of the day. Mm -hmm. And again, the monks and the nuns observe time in this way. You know, like they don't just pray because the work is finished, they pray because it's time for prayer. And it's interesting when you take up a practice like that, how it interrupts your own sense of like internal urgency. That's what happened to me um, as I was started, as I took up that practice. I never really, I'm fine with morning prayer. Like I've, I've had that habit for many, many years. Um, But, you know, ask me to pray like midday and I'm like, I got things to do. (laughs) Um, And, you know, even just, and I struggle with, I have to be honest, like evening prayer is very hard for me, mostly because I'm super tired, but it was that Mm -hmm. midday prayer. That interrupted that oh my like drive for like getting more done like no you you take the you take your foot off the gas pedal here in the middle of the day and you and it I use a particular prayer guide that often the midday prayer is like you know perfect the work that I've already done imperfectly and help me finish the tasks that you know are ahead like it's it's just recognizing this is just not all resting on your work. Um, And so that would also call to mind practices like Sabbath are Mm -hmm. super helpful to reorienting our relationship. Um, A lot of people think about Sabbath as a practice of rest, but we have to remember it reorients our relationship to work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Yeah. Rhythms of rest are huge for moving into a fruitfulness mentality because you can step off the gas, you know, to pray in the middle of the day, to take a day off a week, to take a, you know, a season of vacation a year and know, you know, he is God. And ultimately it's his work that's, you know, keeping the world in motion.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's talk about some of the the habits. So the mm-hmm. the first part of this book, you, you, talk about a lot of the issues we've been talking about here time anxiety um moving you know just reorienting our our, reorienting our way of thinking about productivity and and time and then in the second part of the book you talk about eight habits for reorienting um Mm -hmm. and actually could you list off those eight habits
0: sure Probably gonna have to look at my list here uh-huh. too, so I remember all of them. <laughs> um, begin, receive, belong, offer, wait, practice, enjoy, and remember.
1: Uh huh. Um, I'd like to talk about depending on how much time we have uh, mm-hmm. and how long it takes to talk about some of those habits. I the begin. I, I so appreciated the things you had to say about beginning. Uh, because in, mm-hmm. in a linear, if we think about time, is strictly linear. You know, you have a beginning, and then you have a middle, you have an end. And if you botch the beginning, uh, yeah, <laughs> everything's off track. Um, it's you're done. But as as you you make the case that uh, Scripture reassures us that we begin, and then we begin again, and then we begin again, and that mm-hmm. beginning is um, is. You know, we don't just have beginning, middle, and end, we have new beginnings. So I'd love to hear yeah. you say more about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the hope chapter, really. I mean, I think when we think about just our time anxiety, so much of it is related to things that we feel like are finished and done and, you know, mm-hmm. never to be redeemed. To think about that word redeeming. That what can God do with something that feels like it is very finally ended? Mm-hmm. Um and I, I grapple with that in the chapter because I'm talking about, again, my own stories of grief. I'm talking about, you know, things that have even gone wrong with some of my children, you know, in parenting where you feel like that, you know, I've made these mistakes and we're never going to, you know, what could be, what can, what new thing can emerge out of this story that seems already to have been written mm-hmm. in our lives and in our family's life Um, but I just think as a Christian to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is and who in Scripture is actually called the beginning? Like he is an incarnate beginning. He's a first fruits of more beginnings to come, and e- an eternal beginning that's never going to end. Right? You know, when mm-hmm. you think about the New Jerusalem, the New heavens and the New earth, like the sun is never going to set. Like it will begin, and like that, it's we're go- the beginning just stretches out mm-hmm. endlessly. And so I think there's a lot of hope in that for people who think that, you know, something has ended. You know, I made this mistake. I have this shame, this regret that is never to be overcome. And I just want to call them to hope. I want to call them to believe in the God whose mercies are new every day. And I also think that there's a participation aspect in that, like where it, hope isn't just something that, you know, you feel. But mm-hmm. I, I talk about N.T. Wright, a quote from him, and he says, you know, it's a virtue. It's something you practice. You practice it like a tricky tennis shot. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it reminds me that there is a certain degree of consent and participation that I have in this work of hope, like that hope could actually have some sort of element of work to it. And I know that makes people nervous. Um, You know, we are good. So many of us are like good Protestants, you know, who want to emphasize the grace of God. And I don't want to de-emphasize or de-center the grace of God. I just think these things are, again, very paradoxical. Like the grace of God meets us and we consent to its work in our lives, um, to God's work in us. So, yeah, beginning is like I just... I love what I'm doing in that story. One of the stories I'm telling is even of just the birth of my twins. One of them got stuck. It was a C-section. The second one, obviously. Um, And... You know, the him coming out emerged, like emerging and being tangled in the umbilical cord and, you know, just that being a picture of the tangles of life and just thinking, no, there's got to be a beginning in here somewhere. And every morning, if we woke up and thought in my marriage. In my parenting, in my you know, work, in my this fractured relationship with an extended family member, there's gotta be a beginning in here somewhere. And and maybe not in this life. I, I don't think we right. always get a beginning in this life, but we could practice the hope of looking for it.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Um I said we were going to hit as many. Habits as we could, but I'm I've, I've actually I've got another question. I'm going to interrupt our our okay. down about okay, the, the habits because because this is my chance to hopefully understand something that I've had a really hard time grasping, mm. and that is this language that you that you use that, that is you know not in any not even close to original to you because I've heard it all my adult life and um but still don't get it. The difference between Kairos time and Chronos time. Hmm. Which I'm does seem relevant to I think this is a segue from the begin, the idea of beginning. Yeah. Um, but um, so, help me understand. We there's there's Chronos time that we're all very familiar with, and then there's Kairos yes. time that's different.
0: Yeah. Well, of course, I I knew that I was going to have to deal with this because like you, anything that I've read about time usually makes this distinction and makes, I would say often, you know, if anybody can think about where they've read about Kairos versus Kronos time, it seems like Kairos is the better kind of time. And Kronos is like, is like the secondary, like, you know, you know, second string kind of time. (laughs) Like we have to live in Kronos, but, um, and interestingly enough, so I... You know, just took out my like biblical resources and I was like, what Greek words are used where in the New Testament? And like you cannot make a case for that based on the words as they're used in the New Testament. You can't say chronos time is bad. And Kairos time is good. You can't even say that, you know, Kairos time is the time in which God is acting. And Kronos time is like earthly time where, you know, it's just the hustle and bustle of earthly life. It, you know, hey, t- I, I'm
1: sorry, Jim. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Maybe we need to define the two before we launch sure. too deep into this conversation. So,
0: Yeah. Chronos time is we can just think about the word chronology chrono- chronological chronos time is the time that we measure mm-hmm. and so it really is like i mean we've always we've measured time for millennia not always to the you know zeptosecond <laughs> as now exists um but we've measured hours you know with sundials and water clocks and you know those kinds of things so chronos time is measurable time and of course we ended up with the mechanical clock um incidentally from the monks in benedictine mon- mon- uh, monasteries and so it's just the time that you can actually like objectively measure kairos time is time- Time that exists, it's it's time that's not measurable. People would say it's time that is about opportunity, time that is um sort of intimates an eternal scope, um, time that is fitting, time that is, yeah, opportune, I think is is probably the best way.
1: Okay, so here's here's where where my problem is. I don't understand okay. what how that's time, right? To me, time is yeah what you you know what's measured out to us in coffee spoons um mm-hmm. Elliot said and and so when we for me it's like you've either got time or you've got some sort of eternity that is beyond time and Kairos is is what I'm not like if it's if it's not measurable if it's not like how is it time if it's not seconds ticking past so maybe you can help yeah. Me with
0: that. Well, I think it's time as related to story. I think Cairo's time imagines that there's some sort of story being written in time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, there's almost like there are fitting moments in which... You know, if you if you take a larger scope, if something happens in a particular moment, like it's a chirotic moment um where this is fitting for some larger story that's happening. Charles Taylor actually talks about a, li- a little bit in um, a secular age so that, you know. The medieval, medieval peoples, for example, like when they would celebrate the festivals, they were entering into a story of time, like, you know, maybe it could be pagan festivals, even, Mm -hmm. you know, this idea that there's more to just my day to day life, this, like, you know, the daily grind, I'm plowing my fields, I'm harvesting Mm -hmm. them, or I'm, you know, doing the nine to five and 21st century America. Um, Cairo's time was like that time you observed in festivals and in celebrations, okay. where you sort of stepped away from your work and you entered into a sense of like something larger is happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And what he talks about, and I think it's really helpful, and you could you could definitely go back to it, is he says, you know what's happened? Basically, around 1500, you know, from 500 to 1500, like we had, you know, pretty much collectively as a society, we acknowledge there was this other kind of time. Mm -hmm. And what happens as we become secularized is not just that we stop believing in God, but we actually stop even acknowledging some time beyond ordinary time. Mm -hmm. Chronos time being kind of that ordinary time, you know, one day marching one after another, so that now, all you live for is your day-to-day thing. Of course, you know, Taylor talks about we're, he would use the word cross-pressured. We feel that, we feel a longing for the transcendent. We do feel a longing for a time that exists beyond these this 24-7. Because a lot of us understand that what is involved in chronos time is change And suffering, you know, you can only, you have to suffer Kronos time because that means if the clock is ticking, (laughs) the Mm -hmm. time is running out, Um, and so we we can't bear that as humans. Like Mm -hmm. we do have a longing for some time that exists beyond this life. I mean, actually, so interesting when you think about. um, And I don't know if I'm saying this word right, but I was just recently doing some research on. Is it chirogenics? Like where people deep freeze their bodies? It's
1: cryogenics, I think. C- cryogenics. Yeah.
0: Cryogenics. Okay, thank you. Um, wrote, what did you say again? Cryogenics. Cry- cryogenics. Cryo- yes. Yeah. Cryogenics. I can see it in my mind. I don't know why I can't pronounce it. But anyways, this, this whole, like, gosh, if you think about, like, this longing for something Or just where we can't bear the sentence of Kronos time, the sentence of our own mortality, that people are going to pay like 200 grand plus to deep freeze their bodies so that they can, you know, maybe science is going to catch up and going to be able to reanimate them. This is craziness. Mm -hmm. Like, so, but it's because we don't have a sense of Kairos time anymore. We don't know any kind of story to tell about. Time beyond the twenty four seven. So the way that I think of it. So I I have to say that I got into. So I read an article um, fairly recently, within the last six months, um, where someone was making the argument that I felt really could not be supported by scripture. That you know, basically, like like Chronos time is like that second string time. It's the time that we have to live, but you know, really, we should all be living, you know, our lives with more Kairos. I guess I don't know my a kairos mindset. Well, I think chronos time is a gift that God is part of creation. You know, God actually marked out days. He gave us evenings and he gave us mornings and he said that this was good. And so chronos time is a good. It's a fallen good now, like every other gift of creation, it is fallen. Mm-hmm. And we suffer like the ways that we o- we only know it in its bruised and kind of broken form. Um but God entered Kronos time. And so I think that, I mean, I don't know the time keeping exactly in heaven, but I think my life on earth right now, I think of it as I'm, t- I'm meant to sort of acknowledge Kairos as like the largest context of time and Kronos time existing within it. Mm -hmm. And I do think that this is what this particular author, because we of this article that I mentioned, we had an email exchange um, over a period of weeks where he was like, I think that's the argument I'm trying to make. I'm like, I'm in favor of that, you know, Mm -hmm. where I can live my 24 seven. In light of a larger story. Um, But if I, I'm not, so I'm not rejecting the idea that, I live a mortal life Mm -hmm. and that hours exist and days exist, but I'm asking maybe a different set of questions. See productivity is very, it's just a Kronos time. 100%. How can I make this day, this hour, this minute, you know, work for the, the goals of my Mm -hmm. mortal life Mm -hmm. where Kairos time is like, if it it is asking questions of like, what really matters for this particular moment for this greater story in which I'm living.
1: Yeah, you you kind of mentioned offhand that the mechanical clock was invented for keeping track of prayer times for Mm -hmm. monks and nuns. And that seems like a good picture of what you're talking about, right? That that Mm -hmm. prose time- Yes there's an example of redeeming time right slowing down mm-hmm. you know using using the clock as a way to 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 say oh it's time to slow down <laughs> it's yeah. it's time yeah. to um to to not be productive um for this part of the day and and remember that God is going to complete this imperfect work that I'm that I've been doing and um that, that I just was I didn't it was news to me that the mechanical clock was invented for that purpose. And uh, mm. it feels like it's such a, the, the story of Western civilization that the clock was invented for this purpose. And now it's turned us into machines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Lewis Mumford, I think techniques of civilization is the one he's got this great quote about basically time keeping became time serving. Oh wow! <laughs> and yeah, it's, And it's said even better than that. He has like a list of like four things, what timekeeping has become kind of time saving, but at the end of the road, it's time serving where we serve time rather than time just being one more gift. We receive and offer back to God.
1: It's the story of every kind of idolatry.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: I want to go back to Egypt And, and, and even the, even the, the the memory of the food in Egypt is still if I can be more productive, if I can go back, mm-hmm. I can get I mean you know, one reason I want to be more productive is so I can eat better.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. So I can live more you know nicer or whatever yeah i mean it's interesting though we actually don't i think we don't always ask those questions like we kind of stop at like of course productivity is a good why would i not want to be productive but it's like productive for what purpose um mm. yeah productive for what purpose i think is you, is probably a pretty important question that a lot of us forget to ask me included
1: yeah, yeah. All right, Jen, I'm gonna ask you my question that I always ask at the end of these conversations. I forgot to warn you, so hopefully you'll you'll be you can do this off the top of your head. Who are the okay. writers who make you want to write?
0: Oh yes. Okay. Is it fair if I say Dante? <laughs> just <laughs> sure, because Dante. I because just because I'm reading him right now and I am kind of I'm reading him for my MFA, so it's not like I'm just necessarily reading him for fun. Um, But another writer had said how much she enjoyed getting through the Divine Comedy. And, like, Dante does make me want to write. He has a – the whole goal of the comedy is, like, to recover a sense of, like – the true practice of love, you know, to love God um, and to order every other love behind that. And a lot of things that he does is doing in the comedy is he's correcting the way that what we look at, you know, because our loves are formed by what we see in the image that we sort of take into ourselves by that vision. And I think the comedy is incredibly masterful, Mm -hmm. Um, of course. I mean, everybody's thought that for many, many centuries. Um, And I even think like it sort of relates to one of the habits in the book, which is about offering things to God. When you think about the comedy and the extravagant offering that that was, like it makes me want to write like that. It makes Mm -hmm. me want to labor over something, to craft it so beautifully. And then, you know, and, you know, it might mean that you only make, it might mean you're Marilyn Robinson and you, yeah. and you write four novels or, you know, a collection yeah. of essays. Um, because uh, there's not a, if it may, it may not be the most productive thing. So that's a, that's an, that's an older writer mm. who makes me want to write today as, um, as like a living author. Well, actually, she's dead too. Um
1: it, living author is not um, one of the requirements. It, it's it's just, okay. Yeah.
0: Um I always forget. I think it's Anne Porter. Um, do you know this poet, Ann Porter? I should look it up yeah. too. I always want to say Catherine Porter, but I think that she's but, she was yeah, Anne Porter, really, Ann Porter Okay. So I think but, it's just Anne Porter. Yeah. She's um, I have her book of poems, living things. Um, she was married to a painter and they had a crazy busy household, five kids and, um, lots of hospitality that they practiced. And, and she just wrote these really beautiful, simple poems. Um, so what I read and um, the way that she connects, I guess, to concrete life is something that I appreciate about poetry too. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll say well,
1: this too. Well, thank you, and thank you for being here, Jen. Um, your book is so helpful, and it's especially this time of year as we think about what's going, what this next year is going to look like. I love being able to step back and 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 think about and reimagine productivity. Mm. So thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan.
1: This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com donate.